Just over a year ago, Gary Newman came to the Isle of Man and performed for us in the Villa Marina. To say that it was an earth-shaking experience is an underestimate. It was an absolute tour de force. And one thing he did when he came over, popped up to see us here at Manx Radio, came up to the station, fancied a look around, and he fancied a chat. So I decided to ask him straight away if he'd been to the Isle of Man before. No, I've been there twice before, actually. I came here, I can't remember when exactly, but um, to fly an air show, there's an air show here, and I came over with a team uh, of World War II airplanes. Uh, and that was really cool, enjoyed that. Uh, but then the other time, what wasn't, wasn't quite so cool we were again with the aeroplanes uh, we were trying to get back from Ireland back to um, where we're based near Essex and we got caught out with the weather it came in much sooner than forecast so we turned back to Ireland and couldn't do that and ended up coming here but that was um, that was quite quite hairy actually didn't enjoy that <laughs> at it, all it, it can be an interesting landing at the best of times yeah well, the, when we got to the runway that was that was a good bit it was flying along under the the cliff level through the rain and trying to avoid the mass of sailing boats I me mean, it was heavy rain coming in it, it was uh, yeah it was quite quite a thing that one and you started flying as a young lad didn't you and we got into it through sort of air training or something or? oh i was in the air training corps when i was um 13 12 13. Yeah, that's early, yeah. so i did a little bit of um flying with them well, i can't remember it's, I, I was 19 20 when i started to do my license properly and then the music career took off so it, it kind of stopped for a bit uh, for about a year because i was touring and then um so i went back and finished it um i think 1980 something like that and then i got into multi-engine airplanes and helicopters and did all that and then eventually through a, ch through a chance meeting i ended up getting into historic airplanes world war ii airplanes so i, I bought one of them um and that got me into air display flying i was an air display pilot for about 15 15 years yeah that's quite something they take a lot of looking after yeah, it's um they're they're challenging, you know, to fly. I mean, they're very powerful and but they, I loved it. I loved it. It, it seems weird to me now that I don't do it anymore because it was, you know, for such a big part of my life, it was the most important thing in it. Yeah. More than more than music, I absolutely loved it. But then children come along, and your priorities change. And and it was dangerous. I mean, pretty much everyone I knew that did it was killed in one crash or, an, or another. So, you know, it took its toll on, takes its toll I, on people. Yeah, talk um, about dangerous. I think the guy that built my mum's house in Guildford, he had a spitfire. I can't remember the name of the builder. Charles Church. Yeah. Yeah. He built my mum's house and then bang, gone. Yeah. 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 So that was pretty... I don't argue with him about two weeks before that happened, strangely enough. Did you? About that. Yeah. <laughs> what, the yeah. whole safety element? Well, yeah. You know, my, my argument was uh, to have a, a, you know, a reasonable level of engineering skill or mechanical skill knowledge would be a good thing you know because if the airplane started to vibrate or bits were falling off of it you know whatever <laughs> it might be you would be able to make a, a, a more educated um, decision on what you needed to do about it land immediately go somewhere safe whatever you know, whatever yeah. it might be and uh, and and Charles thought the opposite he thought it would cloud your your judgment so we didn't we didn't see eye to eye on that at all, and then unfortunately he yeah. was he was killed in in, in a in an accident not long after. Now musically, it's the first time you played here. Yes, definitely. Yes, so yeah. you've flown here, but you haven't played here before. Yes. that's fantastic. Now we you've got well, we the audience are looking across this amazing catalogue, as they say in the business. How do you put the set together? 
you're promoting the new album. So yeah. that that's you know, a good third of it w- yeah. would be new album. And then you've got certain things that you, you kind of have to play. <laughs> of course. And that takes up a few more. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, so you've really only got to choose maybe six or seven songs from, from that catalogue. And the catalogue's about 400. That's so it is tricky. It is tricky. So, you, you know, there is a tendency to play safe a little bit and play things that you know people like. <laughs>
1980 top 10 hit for Gary Newman, We Are Glass. But it hasn't all been roses over the last 30-odd years, has it? Is it a sine wave of um, success? There's been troughs and peaks, and it's, it's been, oh, a, loads, been, a, yeah. been a, <laughs> been a bit of a mixture. It's more like a corrugated career. <laughs> yeah. But hasn't it? It's, yeah. it's, and then yeah. people sort of, re, they, people younger than me, suddenly rediscover or discover you for the first time. Yeah, it's been. I mean, the last twelve months have, have been amazing, actually, from that point of view. Um, what when when the new album, when when Savage got to got to number two when the chart when it came out, um, when they, when they told me about that, I, mean, I probably cried like a baby. It was, and I didn't know that was coming. I didn't know I had so much sort of emotion tied into it. And my my wife took the phone call and, and said, you know, no, number two, and it was. You can't believe it, but it's not—it's not an emotional outpouring because of what that one record has done. I don't think it, it's the the twenty-five, thirty years, whatever, of being corrugated, <laughs> getting back to that point again where you're where you're right back up there. And, and and I swear to you, this is true. For all of the number one albums that I had before, the one that that has meant the most to me—I've done twenty-one albums, I think. This new one means the most to me. I I I appreciate now what it means to be sort of at the top of the chart or near the top of the chart in a way that I never did when I first started it all seemed to come so easily and it seemed well that easy you know and and that's and I don't mean that in an arrogant way it, it just did it just seemed easy so you don't really appreciate the magnitude of what's of what's happened but you spend 35 years trying to get back there and you really do you really really appreciate it so this one means the world to me not a lot of people achieve it it's one of those things that when i saw this going up the chart and then bang number two i thought who kept you off number one by the way do we know Foo fighters oh well the fair dues <laughs> <laughs> you know what weird dave Grohl lives about a mile away from right. my house um, yeah fair play to the Foo fighters and they have a word yeah have a word
But you poison You knew When I called you shameful You knew When I called you liar You knew I would always find my way to you Name is Ruin from the album that took Gary Newman almost back to the top of the charts. Got to number two last year and is still out there doing very nicely. Thank you. Savage songs from a broken world. But going back to the beginning of his career, how did he get into the electronic side of the business? I was quite a latecomer to it. I didn't get into synthesizers until late 78. And so I was pretty unaware of, of the development of them and what was going on with them. I'd heard some things that I'd liked, craft work, a um, bit of Eno, the, the stuff Eno did with Bowie on Low and so on. Um, and, I'd, and I'd liked it, but I, not enough that I wanted to do it. No, there wasn't the sort of music I wanted to make at all. And so I, I was not a big fan as such of, of electronic music at all. And I was unaware of things like, OMD and Human League and all these sort of new generation of people that were doing, I think, much more interesting things with it. And so I, I went into a studio to make a, a my debut album, which was a punk album. I was in a three-piece punk band at the time yeah. called True My Army. And, uh, and the Mini Moog was, it was in the studio, in the corner. I'd never seen a real one before. Didn't know how to play it. Didn't know how to set it up. But they let me have a go of it. And luckily, it, it had been left on a sound that was, you know, quite impressive <laughs> and it re- it really impressed me and and uh, it, the power in it was just phenomenal you know the room shook and 
couldn't believe it. And so um, it's, I was sold there and then. And I know quite literally by the time that my other two bandmates had finished unloading the gear and put it into the room, I'd already started to, to rewrite everything and rework everything. You know, the guitar's going to be backed out, replacing guitar parts with synthesizer parts. And, and that's the album I took back to the record company. And they, they were not happy, actually. Really? They no, didn't get it? Didn't get it at all, not to begin with. And we had a, a proper big stand-up argument in their offices, and I was trying to convince them that this electronic sort of layer that we'd added to it was coming. It was coming, you know, and I wanted to be right at the front end of it. I didn't realise I was already not at the front end of it. <laughs> it had already been happening, but I, I, I was ignorant of that. I, I thought I'd, I'd found it, you know, when I, but I hadn't. And um, so we had this big argument, and um, me trying to convince them that electronic music was going to be massive, and we should be right at the front end and all that. And eventually, they, they agreed to put the album out as it was and not make me go back and do it as a punk album again. I, I think more because he didn't have any money. I don't think they had any more budget to send me back in. And that was Beggar's Banquet, Beggar's wasn't Banquet, it? Yeah. yeah. So they weren't a huge label by any means. Uh, well, then they weren't. Then, but then when you helped them become much bigger, yeah, thank they you very were much. tiny then. I yeah. was a fourth or fifth act to, to, to yeah. sign to them, but it worked. You know, it, it came out. It didn't get the the bad reviews I think they were expecting. It wasn't great either, but it was all right. And then the album after that, which was about six months later or maybe less, went to number one. And after that, went to number one. So it was, it came good very, very, very quickly. But I was still learning. You know, I, I was doing interviews with tech magazines about synthesizers. Didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Just making it up. <laughs> That's you <know>. very honest. <laughs> trying, trying to sound weird and mysterious because I actually didn't know the answer to any of their questions.
premier remix of Cars. Massive, massive hit. And that came out on his premier hits collection. But going back to the new album, Savage, Songs from a Broken World, it really is a tour de force. So much work has gone into this. Any album now is a big project. I've said this many times, but to me, making an album now, it's very much like a mountain to climb. You know, and when you're coming up to starting it, you're standing at the foot of the mountain and you're looking up and it looks daunting and intimidating and, and, and a huge task. And each one gets a little bit taller and a little bit steeper. It, they're not getting easier for me at all, getting harder. And I'm really nervous when I start them. Really, really nervous, always. Yeah. In, again, increasingly so with each one. So um, you think when you made a lot, you start to take it for granted just churn out another one but it's not like that not like that at all because i i honestly believe that you're only as good as your next record you know because i had some success in 1979 or whenever it was you you should not try to live on that you know you should not try to have a career based on past glories you should earn it again with each album you've got to keep earning well said the position that you're in and so there is a challenge to that you know if you're going to keep on making records and you keep you want them to keep getting better. Well, you, you keep raising your own bar with each one, or, or that's your, your aim, even if you don't succeed. <laughs> Always, that's what you're trying to do. And so the pressure is enormous with that. You know, and then, of course, when they come out, everyone has an opinion. You know, so you've got to go through that. And, and it's you've you got to be resilient, I think, to do it at all. But to do it for 40 years, you've really got to be resilient. And uh, and that's where I think my Asperger's, I've got Asperger's syndrome. I think that's where it really helps me and plays a part in that I can compartmentalise the emotion in a way and wrap it up and just put it to one side. Yeah, sort of deal with that later. And that helps you deal with criticism, do you think? You can box that off and say, well, they don't know this. Yeah. 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 And a way of just turning it into anger, forward motion you know, fuel on the fire that, that kind of thing don't get it now strange enough you know my, my days of having bad press luckily are long long behind me and it's much more positive now and has been for a while but i think i was scarred by it by the early criticism that i got the, the level of it and the hostility of it was shocking and it definitely made it made a mark on me and so now when it's not like that now then it's more more pleasant you know it's, it's a lovely thing but i i still I'm kind of at arm's length to the whole thing. I don't blame I you, because you're right. The music press was vicious. It, it, they hardly exist now in some ways. Just an no. online nightmare. I you outlive have... the enemy. <laughs> outlive the enemy, the enemy, indeed. <laughs> Our thanks to Gary Newman, who came to see us here at Manx Radio last year and put on a show and a half at the Villa Marina. I'm Mark Tiley. Keep listening for more podcasts from Greatest Hits because that's where they'll be popping up right here on manxradio.com.